Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each week. Each episode of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com, so head over there for more information. We are bringing you guys a special remote podcast today. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me remotely is Dan and Holly. Guys, say hi. Hi, Steve. Hi, Holly. Hey, guys. How's it going? Surviving. No, How little, are you guys doing? It's a little odd. It's just odd doing it this way. Usually I'm I know. looking at Steve's bald head and Holly's shiny teeth, and <laughs> this is what I get in my bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of a bummer, I'm not going to lie. But um, the good yeah. news is, so far at least, our audio tests look like everything's coming in clearly. So um, that's good. But, yeah, definitely miss your guys' smiling faces and laughter in the room. and All the edits that we have to do. All the edits. So many edits. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. Um, well, kind of in line with just this year in general. Um, wasn't planning on doing this uh, podcast, but would like to do uh, today's episode on basically how COVID is affecting you personally and professionally. And I think between the three of us, we've got some interesting stories and wanted to do kind of a check-in on uh, just a couple of the hot topic COVID items with vaccines and everything else coming out and kind of go from there. Sounds good. Right. Yeah, sounds great. Cool. Well, I guess, Dan, I want to start with you in terms of how COVID's affecting you professionally um, and talk about kind of what's going on at your department, what you've been seeing uh, call-wise, and then also just chat with you about uh, what your guys' plans are for vaccine rollout and if you've been given any info and, um, yeah, just kind of see where you're at. Well, I tell you, it's... uh it seems like this is a never-ending year. I don't even remember when this started. Um, I know that there was so much more anxiety, you know, back in the spring, you know, with the PPE or lack of PPE, the the whole, am I going to catch COVID on this call? And now it's literally every other call is COVID call. And, um, you know, I, I was never a PPE guy. You know, being in the 30 years, I rarely wore gloves. Now there's nothing on my body that's not covered. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a good change. Yeah. Uh, what's not good is is I feel my level of care has gone down. Yeah, I feel that too. I feel my compassion has gone down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to like get Like your tolerance in. for these calls? Oh, no, the, just compassion for in general. It's like, okay. why, why are you... You know, if it's like a non-critical call, like, why are you calling me? Do you have any idea what's going on out there right now? Yep. Yeah. You do not need to go to the hospital. There's no reason for me to be here being exposed. Correct. And so I, my tolerance level has gone down. And it's not it's not fair to the patient because that's, I signed up for this job to deliver great patient care and to be compassionate. And I just, I'm not doing that. I mean, two two days ago, you know, I had a call in a, a COVID hub, a place where they, they ship all COVID people from some of the nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And so it's just horrible yeah and i'm in full pp respirator the whole thing i can't even talk and ambulance got there first and it's one of those mediocre medics yep and mm-hmm. and this guy's unconscious you know he's 80 some years old faster in the 70s he's aspirated he's low blood pressure and 
we just, because I couldn't have a conversation with the medic saying this guy needs to be intubated. And I started thinking, I really want to intubate this guy, but then I've intubated several COVID people. So, I mean, I just feel like, had this been a year ago, much more aggressive. Right. Now it's like, well, you know, <laughs> I've already tubed someone today. I don't need to do it again. So right. it's, it's uh, I just, I don't know. I, I really miss sitting down and having a great conversation with, you know, the patients and the older people and hearing their story. Now it's just, okay, get on the car, let's go. Yeah. And I don't like that. Yeah. And I see that throughout our whole department. You feel so, like it's because you're having, you're trying to have the least amount of contact with people as possible. Least amount of contact. I got to move to the next call because it's coming down the road. And, and I'm just, I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing the death. I'm tired of seeing the sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm tired of, you know, at the flight company, you know, transporting people in their twenties mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. you know, who are probably not going to make it, who are, you know, on ECMO and, and then you have the people say, oh, this isn't a real disease and so yeah. on and so forth. I just, I'm just losing my patience all around. Yeah. I really uh, try hard not to get um, political in, well, life, yes. unless it's my wife and I talking at home by ourselves. Right. Um, but I had one outburst at work the other day, and it still kind of eats me up, but it, it just felt like – uh, it was so infuriating, but so, and, and this is in route to the call. No, no. Yeah. So um, this actually happened uh, when we got back from a, a COVID-related cardiac arrest. Um, it just kind of came out, and I'm still mad at myself for saying it, but like I repeated Trump's line of "It's just going to wash over," you know, the the entire country, you know, like a miracle, it'll be gone one day, kind of a thing, you know. <laughs> and I was so ticked that, you know, any leader in our country would be that ignorant um, to say something like that. And, you know, I have respect for the right side of the aisle, the left side of the aisle, the middle. Um, I don't think any of them are, you know, better than the other at all. Um, I think they both have their pros and cons. Um, And not getting political on this podcast, but I was just so disappointed to hear that. And then that was like the first thing that came to the tip of my, my brain when I'm coming back in, having to do this decon and, you know, now we've got to literally wipe down everything. Uh, and, you know, then we get to do our chart and then we get to do, you know, all this other documentation, uh, for the state level and the feds because it was a, you know, COVID related call and blah, 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 blah. It just sucked. then you get to do it all over again, and then over and over. A couple hours later, we're doing it again. Yeah, um, it 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 sucks, and there's really no other way to put it. Um, no, it but, really sucks. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I don't know. It's just working. I don't know. I know it's, there's a there's a divide in the department. You know, with the vaccine and with the mm-hmm. calls and with the mass in the station and the mass in the rig and. Everything. Just let's just all just do what we're supposed to do for a few more months and be done with this shit. No kidding. Let's just do it. Let's gut it out. You know. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I think is probably the most consistent challenge um, as a company officer is, and it's it's really anyone that's going to work right now in EMS or fire, um, or in uh, nursing or you know wherever the heck you work in healthcare. 
is getting the people around you to kind of rally every day and right. Hey, we got to do it again. I know this sucks, man, but we got to do it again. Yep. I heard you, you know, like if you want to get something off your chest, let's chat, but we still got to do it. And yeah. gonna do it. I, I, I really struggle, um, when I'm having the same conversation with the same people. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I just feel like I'm not getting through. Um, I don't have the thing that they need to hear, you know, at the front of my brain. Um, and it's, it's a challenge. I, think that's a, I know it's like, a, it's like that classic example of compassion fatigue Yes, where you do this day in and day out. And suddenly you're in the state where you just don't like damn the thing. You just don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And, Compassion fatigue is dangerous because it doesn't get better unless you make it better. Mm-hmm. It can, it leads to burnout. And that's, I think what a lot of healthcare workers right now are feeling is just that burnout mm-hmm. where you're just ready to check out and you're done. Yeah. And this is going to be a very lasting mark on our industry. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And then you bring it home, you know, you give all you have at work and you've got nothing else to give at home. Um, or the vice versa, you know, you've got a lot of stuff going on at home. You've got nothing left to give your patients. And on the flip side of that, even in our personal lives, COVID is prevalent, right? Do I go to that Christmas party? Um, do I see my parents at Christmas? Do I, you know, did I, I don't know, like every single decision you make is based on keeping everyone safe. It's just a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's the hard thing is I have, uh, I have older kids and, and I can't, I can't manage what they do. You know, I, I have one who works, uh, works as an EMT and hopefully he's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And I remind him every single day. Mm-hmm. I have another one who is, who's teaching from home. And so she's, she's, you know, pretty dialed in on just staying here. And then I have another one who's, who's my public place. He won't let us go anywhere without a mask and which is great. You know, <laughs> sometimes you need that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and Steve, I mean, I'm not a company officer, and I and I don't uh, I don't envy the position you're in right now. But I'll give an example. Like I have not worn my uniform in nine months. Yeah. And yesterday I had on some yoga pants. They call them yoga pants. They're actually sweat. And uh, <laughs> my chief called me out, and I battalion chief, and he says, you know, even though you're never going outside the station uh, without Tyvek suit on, you still have to look good and follow the rules in the station. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what? You're absolutely right, sir. And yeah. I went in and put my, I put on my shorts, I didn't put on my uniform, but absolutely. at least they were, they were yeah. fire department shorts, right? <laughs> right. So. You got to get some fire department yoga pants. Yeah, yeah we're man. working on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it. Put that badge on them. <laughs> That's right. I, uh, put a little radio clip on them, you're good to go. Yeah. Dan, you would rock those. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, I think that, um, the the thing that I've I've had to loosen up on is is kind of like what your your battalion chief was doing, you know. I get smacked down if a BC shows up to our station, and you know sees X Y or Z. Now, I'll be honest. The last couple of years, I've been downtown where all our managers are, where all of um, mm-hmm. you know the white shirts reside, and so I don't really have to do a lot of hand holding because. Mm-hmm. there's so many of them around that it's just expected that if you're working down here, have all, have all your stuff on, you know, make sure yeah. that you're, you know, following all the rules kind of a thing. 
Now, what do you guys wear um, on your calls? Is it the same across the state? I'm sure it's department by department. Yeah. So if for us, it's crew by crew. Yeah. I mean, by crew. Yeah, because I mean, we have different Tyvek suits. We have reusables. We have disposables. We have different types of N95. Some of us have P100. Some of us have the whole SCBA mask with a P100 on. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a minimum of an N95 and a Tyvek suit. Yeah, and glasses. So for us, but it didn't used to be that. No, I mean, no. for shoot in the initial stages, it was, yeah, I put a mask on, on calls and we're like, Oh, okay. Like what the heck's going on? And then it slowly ramps up. And then I would say probably June, maybe July. They said, you know what? Um, any call that has priority symptoms. So our dispatchers, you know, they're asking, all the questions about COVID-related symptoms so that we at least kind of have an idea of what we're going into, um, if it's a possibility, which I'll be honest, even then we've had a few show up. Yeah. They're like, no, I, I have it. You're like, oh, okay, right. that wasn't on the CAD, so what the heck happened there? So for us on our crew, and it, like Dan said, it is kind of crew dependent. Um, if we're going on an EMS call, we have an N95 and goggles on, and then if it's a priority symptoms call from the get-go we'll wear a gown and you know go in with everything on um but what's interesting is our department i wish i could show photos through a podcast because um i was shown a photo of uh our ems chief when he accidentally stumbled onto 5000 n95 masks that we didn't know we had <laughs> so, yeah, um, we had actually, um, you know, we we're inventorying how much we had because we had to start rationing it, right? And this was kind of early on, uh, probably back in like April. And due to budget cuts a couple of years prior, uh, we had closed the station, um, which was a, you know, big ordeal. Um, and I say a couple of years back, it was actually probably like a decade ago. Uh, but you know, this, the county and the city still have access to that building. And so, um, randomly they decided to go look in some of the storage areas at that station to see if they were, you know, what was out there. And due to, you know, changes in management and changes, um, at the upper levels, they kind of forgot that they used that for PPE storage for a while. And so, wow. yeah, when they moved where the PPE is stored to where we, you know, find it today, which is downtown. Um, they kind of forgot about all that stuff that was out there, which, you know, now with all this going on, it seems more egregious than it probably was 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, so they, they go out there and, um, one of the other chiefs snaps a photo of the EMS chief seeing it for the first time. And he looks like <laughs> a little kid at Christmas. <laughs> like, it's so awesome. And, um, it was, it was a really, really funny photo. Um, that is awesome. Yeah. I find myself with a PPE. Um, my parents grew up during the depression and, and when my dad died, he died with, uh, you know, seven jars of peanut butter in the back of his car because he was always hungry uh, when he was a kid. And I find myself doing that same type thing with PPE. I will hoard it. And when I find it um, at another station, if I work a call shift and something better than we have, you know, I might bring it over to the station and, you know, if they have a lot. I'll just spread it around the, you know, around a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
but I am a hoarder. I will not throw away an N95 mask unless it's blatantly <laughs> yeah. done. There's only right. one size that fits me or one particular one that fits me. And so I definitely hoard that particular one because you show up to work and there's an N95, but if it doesn't fit you, what's the point wearing it? Exactly. Right. So I definitely hoarded um, as many as I could of our, our fond white masks we used to have. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I love those. And for a little while, what what was probably one of the hardest things to wrap my brain around uh, when all this kind of first started rolling out was, so nurses were coming out to our ambulances and asking if they could get an N95 from us at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it was oh like, are you kidding me? First off, absolutely. Here's a mask. Like this is... Yes. This is so That's dumb horrible. that you don't have one. What What is going on here? And it's just lack of preparation. Um, and yeah. all, you know, I, I I still can't wrap my brain around that. If you run a hospital system, how is preparation for an outbreak not something that you practice routinely and prepare for by stocking up on supplies? Like, it's all about money, man. you got to have enough supplies on hand for like two weeks. Yeah, it should be especially like the size of the hospital <clears throat> system you work with. I mean, mm-hmm. there should have been a trailer pull. Yeah, yeah, but that's how they keep costs down is to not stockpile things to expire. They literally, and I can't remember now when all of this started. Actually, it was back when the eclipse was happening. Yeah, we met with a bunch of the different hospital administrators to you know make sure we needed to shuttle supplies back and forth and all this. But literally, it's about two weeks of supplies on hand. How hospitals operate, and I could be wrong. It could be four weeks, but what I'm trying to say is, it's it's kind of a skeleton amount of supplies mm-hmm. because you just reorder them, right? You order right. them daily or weekly, and you don't never have an issue mm-hmm. until everybody wants that PPE, and you can't get it, and now you're screwed. Yeah, I'm glad you I, cared. That was nice of you. Oh, I mean, yeah, everybody cared because you know. I mean, Holly, you used to work at the system that we dropped patients off to or, or still drop patients off to all the time. Like, mm-hmm. we're tight with the nurses there. Like, Very tight. We, yeah. we really enjoy the staff at the ER. And, you know, we have a lot of, well, pre-COVID, a lot of social stuff with, um, you know, the nursing group and docs there. And um, it was very common to hear about our guys, you know, going to a party, a get-together with, you know, that was being hosted by someone at the hospital. Um, and... Yeah, it was just, it still bugs me that that was a reality that they had to work with because we, while yes, we we have them in the back of an ambulance, which is a confined space for, or an enclosed space for, you know, five to five minutes to an hour, (laughs) you guys are literally walking around in a room all all day long um, with that stuff. And I mean, we were... Not only were we wearing them, but rightfully so in the beginning, we were we were giving all of our patients one. Um, and so to have a, a nurse come out and say, hey, can I have one of those? It's yeah. Like, Dude. Oh, my gosh. Do you imagine what her face would have looked like when she saw that closet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, if you remember in the beginning, it was um, the general public should not be wearing masks because mm-hmm. the whole point of that statement was to preserve the ones we had for healthcare workers. and. It wasn't till what, the summer when then it uh-huh. was, okay, everyone needs to be wearing a mask. You know, it's like now we have enough. 
we know a little bit more about it, everyone needs to mask up. And um, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. I would get angry at people for wearing N95s at the grocery store because I was thinking, yep. I've been using this yeah. one for months and you right. got one? Like, where'd you find it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, that so, is so true, isn't it? Yeah. What is the, uh, are, did any of the people at your hospital system get uh, vaccinated this last week? Uh, are you asking me or are you asking Holly? Are you asking both uh, of us? Steve. Um, we... I just read a news article today that they have started, yes, with the Pfizer vaccine. Um, And we were notified, oh, earlier this week that the plan is, assuming everything, you know, goes without any hiccups, uh, is that our department would be given the Moderna vaccine uh, by the end of the year. Um, Oh, Seriously? Yeah. Assuming, obviously, you. it gets emergency use authorization, assuming it right. gets, um, you know, sent out here with no problems. But um, Which is interesting that you um, mentioned that emergency use, use authorization. And mm-hmm. I've been listening to a lot of stuff about the vaccine because people call me and think that, oh, what are you going to do, Holly? I'm <laughs> like, I don't know. So I'm reading a lot and listening to a lot of interviews mm-hmm. and that emergency use provision doesn't mean that this vaccine has gone through any different process than any other vaccine that's ever been made here. Correct. Same amount of clinical trials, same amount of patients, same amount of time, Mm -hmm. same amount of rigorous testing. It's just that, well, first of all, funding is there. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it has gotten um, pushed through the red tape. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that makes it emergency use is that there's not that two-year symptoms you know, that they normally can do for vaccines. But remember, H1N1 was the same type of um, emergency provision. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, I just thought that was really interesting that we're using that word because remember when the hydroxychloroquine came out and that was under one of those emergency provisions. And medications are not held to the same standards as vaccines at all. Right. Um, So you can actually use a medication that hasn't been tested for something under an emergency use, Mm -hmm. but not a vaccine. Vaccines are completely different. Which really bolstered my confidence and the fact that yes, I'm going to get this vaccine, and right. I can't wait. Yeah, no, I'm 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 very stoked to get it. And while what's, I have some uh, people that I work consensus? with, that, go ahead. What what is the consensus down there? Um, I would say it's probably fifty fifty on who's going to get it really? and who's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. We just did some type of a survey yesterday. Uh, I'm I bet you it's going to be. I'll bet you it'll be a little less. Than that, I bet we'll have fewer people than than that. That'll do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Honestly, but, man, I think it's um, I think it's politically motivated. Um, it is when you listen to, and I, I've I've had the conversations with multiple folks. When you listen to their concerns, they're literally spouting what's being shared on politically charged news resources. Mm-hmm that mm-hmm. are not sharing information. It's more of just someone kind of throwing something out there as, well, what about this argument? And it's like, mm-hmm. that has no medical basis or validity at all. But yet you just shared that on a politically bent news show. And now the people that follow this religiously are going to be spouting that as if it's accurate. And I am. Um, no, and a lot of that, that's all of this information is available. If you mm-hmm. are concerned that maybe they didn't test enough people or this vaccine got pushed through because, I don't know, for whatever reason, 
read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get educated. Interviews, get educated on your own. And then, I mean, you're probably going to find that, you know, people don't want the flu vaccine either. I get it. It's their choice. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm not worried at all that this vaccine took shortcuts. That's what I'm saying. No, me either. Right. Me either. For the yeah. first time, the entire world is working on one thing. <laughs> um, and it's actually a year isn't, isn't, it's pretty fast for a vaccine, but I'm pretty sure H1N1, I think we had a vaccine within eight or nine months. Um, of course, that was a flu, and we're used to that. Mm. Done that before. But I don't know. I'm pretty confident so yeah. far. I've been watching, um, uh, a handful of things that uh, interviews with Dr. Uh, Offit, uh, Paul Offit, the guy who helped lead the charge on the rotavirus vaccine. And mm-hmm. he is so just easy to listen to, um, very down to earth, very straightforward. Doesn't, um, you know, he just seems very personable, uh, kind of a, just a nice dude overall. And I really enjoy listening to him talk to the people that are interviewing him because He's just having a conversation and laying it all out there and saying, this is the information that is available. I'm not spinning it anyway. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, the information that we have right now about this vaccine is as good as we could have hoped for ever. And he, he's, he's fielded questions like, did they rush this? And he says, well, one of the reasons we got through it so quick is like what Holly was saying. One of the things that basically elongates the timeline for getting a vaccine uh, into you know, into patients is the number of people who are willing to sign up uh, and actually be a part of a phase one or phase two or phase three trial. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's even funding aside. Like people sometimes just won't sign up because they don't want to mess with this stuff. They don't have a reason to, but personally, yeah, yeah, we've all got a lot of reasons to, right. And so it's really difficult when, um, you know, you, you take, to get a vaccine approved when you, when you can't get through the trials because you don't have people signing up. And so that's why it can yeah. take two, five, 10 years or longer, um, to get something done because, you know, unless people are heavily motivated, you know, to, to be paid to be a part of these trials, like they don't have a reason to, but, um, that's not the case with these. So it's pretty awesome that humanity in general has, um, you know, really helped push this forward on top of, obviously all the work that yeah. science is doing. So, yeah. And the technology is there. Like mm-hmm. we're smart people. Yep. Yep. And MRNA is not completely new. This is not a new concept either. Right. You know, everyone's like, well, we've never done this before, but we did. I mean, it's been around for a decade at least. Mm-hmm. Um, H1N1 is an animal virus. Um, and so it's definitely been looked at and studied for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And you know, just got to dig in a little bit and totally. read some stuff. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Just read Do you some guys stuff. think um, enough people are going to get it to at least start the herd immunity? I do. I, I think do. So. I, think, I, think, so. I think there's a lot of big talkers right now that are saying no, but when it actually rolls out and it's their opportunity, I think they're absolutely going to do it. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of social media posts of doctors and nurses, you know, sort of like proudly getting their vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because I do think that that proves that our medical community is trustworthy of this uh-huh. and they're in the know and they mm-hmm. see these patients every single day. And it's, I don't know, kind of gives me goosebumps every time I see one. Uh-huh. 
It, yeah. it was amazing to watch that the first day. I mean, it was a historic, right? Something that hopefully we never have to see again in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was amazing to see. Yeah. So how well, about... Well, it brings a little bit of hope anyway, I think maybe to the three of us. Does that help you guys when you're out there dealing with these patients that maybe there is an end in sight? Because for a long time, we just day in and day out, there's no end in sight. Yeah, it absolutely has helped me. I, I feel yeah. I feel much better about going to work. Um, mm-hmm. Um, I still eventually will be a fifth guard. I just hope I don't let my guard down. Yeah. Thinking, oh, well, the virus, or, or even when I get the vaccine, like, oh, I got the vaccine. I don't have to do this, but I only have 18 more months left. And I, I don't ever see myself not having a mask on on a call again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's become normal, huh? Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, like when I started in this profession and they just started wearing gloves because of the HIV AIDS epidemic, um, you know, that was a new thing for them, and it stuck. So we'll just see how this is in 10 years, 15 years, how many of you guys are still wearing masks. Yeah. I'll be long gone by then. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Um, just anecdotally and just observational only. Um, it seems like the flu is less this year so far, and pediatric illness has been way down, too. And, again, I don't have any statistics. It's just mm-hmm. anecdotally. Um, you know, kids aren't in school. Everyone's wearing masks, hopefully washing yeah, their we're hands, much and we're kind of staying away from each other. Um, mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that too? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. It has been an amazing, amazing on that. You know, usually we're running on kids with, you know, RSV and all this, you know, flus and all that kind of stuff, and I haven't had anything so far this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. we're already running out of beds usually with the flu by now. So. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. How about yeah. you and your area, Steve? I think so. Um, you know, we haven't had any critical kid calls, knock on wood, um, medically, um, except until last, I say that, and then last shift, um, it was COVID related. Uh, we had a, uh, an under 10 year old with, uh, uh, MISC, the multiple, uh, multi-inflammatory syndrome, um, that's caused by the, the COVID virus. And, and the thing that really kind of made me question some things about that call was, um, just the, the severity of, of how sick this kid was and the, um, the onset of symptoms didn't start until three, three or four weeks after the last positive test in this kid's house. And so it, wow. it passed around to all the family members. Um, but he didn't really start getting sick for a few weeks after, um, and are they testing the kids too when they go in? Or is that kind of the last in your area? Um, when you mean like when, when a like parent family tests positive? Has COVID. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's both that, you know, it's an assumed case if you start developing symptoms, um, mm-hmm. a presumptive case, I should say. And then, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't really change anything in terms of treatment more often than not. And so it's stay at home, isolate, you know, you can basically come out of quarantine 10 days after your symptoms or seven days after your symptoms if you have a test that shows you're negative. Um, so that's kind of what everybody's sticking to. But um, for the most part, I don't think a lot of kids are getting tested. Um, I know. I was wondering because, you know, that also skews statistics too. People are like, kids aren't getting sick. They're not getting right, COVID. Right. But we're just really they not are. testing them either. Right. And we have some schools uh, that are open 
um, private schools that are open down here and Mm -hmm. they're doing the open for two weeks, closed for two weeks, open for two weeks, closed for two weeks. And, um, at the end of the day, I don't know that that's any better for kids, um, having to deal with that constant, oh man, you know, like going back into quarantine, like, um, versus just staying home and, and making it work with a, a small pot of people. Um, Mm-hmm. But you know, but at least you get them out, get them some social time. Right. It's it's just a it's a crapshoot. But at the same time, like with yeah. with how rare it is in kids um, these severe symptoms, which is man, talk about a godsend. I'm so glad that we are not dealing with something that is crippling kids all over the place. Because I know, I think, gosh, whatever universe yeah. planned this out, like they at least yeah. spared us that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, how about personally? How are you guys doing? Like, how, I know at my house, it's it's pretty good, you know, because there's a mm-hmm. lot more family time. Mm-hmm. My wife and I are closer. Good. We have more money because we're not going anywhere. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, we get on each other's nerves, but right. Overall, personally, it's been it's been okay. Mm-hmm. Better than expected. Yeah. That's great to have that that dynamic where you're, you know, work is so stressful. It's so nice that home isn't right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're, we're doing pretty good. We, we've had a lot of just random stuff personally that's happened, um, lately, but, um, in terms of like COVID personally stuff, uh, we actually lost my, uh, grandma in North Carolina to COVID back in October. Um, she was in a nursing home at an outbreak, uh, and I think 20 or 25 people ended up getting it. And, uh, yeah, she, she passed away on, I think she was day 12, uh, post diagnosis. And so, um, that, that sucked. She was, I mean, she's in her mid nineties, so she didn't really have a chance, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but still, you know, it sucks. Um, but when you're, I think it sucks more because she was, she, she, she wasn't, you know, before the diagnosis, she was with it, you know, she was there mentally. She, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, she had, um, she was still, you know, getting around and doing her thing. But, um, the thing that I think again, caught me off guard was how quickly it happened. Cause, um, you know, obviously you hear a loved one has, has COVID. You're going to check in on them every single day. Right. Well, Mm-hmm. getting updates from my dad, checking in with them occasionally and, um, didn't hear anything. Oh, yeah, everything's fine. You know, no real symptoms. And then, and then day 11, uh, you know, she actually has kind of a cough and she's not really feeling too good. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, they'll keep an eye on her and everything. And then that night it was, yeah, her cough's gotten really bad. Um, and, uh, you know, they're kind of really checking up on her. Um, and then the next day it was, yeah, uh, we think she might have pneumonia or something. You know, we were kind of getting some weird reports from the facility and she's complaining about being a little short of breath. And then that progressed throughout the day to, you know, she's really not doing good. We got to send her to the ER. And then as they were, uh, basically getting ready to innovate her, um, she, she coded and she has a DNR, so they didn't work oh. her. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was quick. Um, it's interesting that on day 11, mm-hmm. you know, 
Mm-hmm. She, and, and and here we are saying if you're not symptomatic for seven days or ten right. days or whatever, go back right. to work. And like, that's too bad. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah that's horrible. It, Steve, do you feel like um, I sort of feel like a lot of people, especially out where I live, you know, we live in a smaller community, you know, west of the city, mm-hmm. and like I don't think it feels real out here because no one's been personally touched by it as you know in my friend circle Mm -hmm. do you feel different now that your family's been touched by it does it feel more oh absolutely big or scary yeah um you know what what bothers me the most is when people are poo-pooing it in front of me right and you you're kind of always fighting the surge to just lose it on them um yeah or to be like well they've already in their nights Right, right, they're old. Right, and that's kind of the thing, like, right? That's an okay reason oh, to die, were they you know? were they elderly? Oh, did they have underlying conditions? And it's like, look, it's oh, then it's okay. Yeah, then it's right. fine, and it and you then know, it's not going to happen to me. Right, right. And I think the thing that you know, the other part of this is, um, you know, my family is spread out all across the country, and my house, again, knock on wood, is the only one that hasn't gotten it. Um, my parents got it and they live in, uh, just outside Tahoe and, you know, they, they got their butts kicked by it, um, especially my mom. Um, and, uh, luckily, you know, they're, they're doing good now. Um, but it was just shy of a month, um, of symptoms for my mom. She was, and she still has a very light cough, um, from it. Wow. Yeah. Um, but she did test negative, which is good. So. Um, and then let's see the, the family that I have in North Carolina that, you know, my, my grandma, uh, side of things, they, they all got it. There's like 12 or 15 of them, um, out there that got all uh, distant cousins and, uh, my grandpa out there got it as well. And then, yeah, it, it's, I feel like people tend to get a lot more. Uh, awareness and strict on it when it hits someone close to home and right then it's a real thing then it's a real yeah. thing and if you've never and i know you both have because you're in healthcare if you've never had to wait by the phone for your test results uh to see if oh. you can go back to work or to see if you've tested positive because you were exposed like it's mm-hmm. nerve-wracking um because yeah, your mind starts going to all the the worst case scenario spots and it becomes a lot more real in those moments. Um, oh, absolutely. But Yeah, and I know um, one of the places I work at right now, the, one of the protocols is that they really don't want to test you until five to seven days after yeah. your exposure. Yep. You know, otherwise you have a higher chance of a false negative. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so sometimes when you do get that negative back or you're like, okay, right, really negative? Yeah. Really negative, which is why you should comply with the rules of, self-isolation and all of that yeah. stuff, but yes. um, it's really scary. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary probably for your family and your extended family, knowing that you guys, you know, and my family too, work on the front lines. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, another added stress to the family dynamic um, yeah. and the daily life of ugh, really putting yourself out there. Yeah. And, you know, Dan and I talked about that in April when we did a, I think it was like our second episode ever was on this COVID thing that keeps coming up. Um, yeah. And, you know, we were, 
uh, I think we had just gotten out of quarantine, Dan, if that's, I know we didn't break the rules when we, when we recorded. So it was either just before or just after. I can't remember. And, um, when I listened back over to some of the, uh, recording, we were talking about, oh man, you know, across the country, there's like 40,000 cases of this thing now. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I think we actually have a few, few positive cases in our state. Um, you know, and, and now it's good Lord. Stand by. I'm going to give you the most accurate number. Now over 3000 people are dying. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, according to the Google, let's see the last few days, 200,000 plus cases a day. And it looks like 200,000 a day. Yeah. In our state. Um, no, that's in new the, cases in the U.S. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said in our state. I'm like, no. wow, we don't really have that many people in our state. <laughs> no, right? Yeah. Pretty small. We're pretty here. lucky in Oregon. We don't. We don't get. Yeah, we, um, we haven't gotten the. the Which surges. I think has really helped us. Our population yeah. density isn't really there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oregon has had in total uh, under a hundred thousand cases. We're at right around ninety nine thousand and twelve hundred deaths total. So. Um, oh man! Yeah, Steve. What What are the statistics today of how many people a day are dying in the United States? I know we've surpassed our uh, total number of people who died in nine eleven. Right? Are right. we daily seeing about three thousand? Yeah. Um, yesterday was thirty two ninety three. Uh, December sixteenth, I think, was the highest date on record yet, and that was three thousand six hundred eleven. Um. Wow. So hopefully we don't climb oh, any higher. Yeah. Well, we're talking about Coming. compassion fatigue, right? And yeah. getting annoyed by this thing and, you know, not wanting to, you know, just wanting to get in and out. And I, that's, I think our country's seeing the same thing. Like it's mm-hmm. worse now than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. And people, less people are complying with the, right. Um, yeah. the, the directives than ever. Yeah. I love when, so when people say that these, these rules that are being temporarily imposed are, violating constitutional rights and it's like no they're not <laughs> they're absolutely not they're, they're not one they're, bit they are for your safety and they are for the health of our country like they are yeah. they are something to be celebrated because we want to take care of one another but um the the one call i wanted to to kind of it's touching on the stuff that you guys have brought up um, especially compassion fatigue and just um feeling like i can't do as much as i'd like to um we had a, a gentleman in our county, um, basically a call comes in at, you know, early in the morning and we had just had a rash of calls that have come in. And, and so, um, we're heading down to like the South end of our county kind of a thing. And, um, very, as far as, you know, we would go in our district kind of thing. And, uh, we're going to be the first ones on scene cause all the ambulances are out and we're heading down there and, Starting to kind of read the, the CAD notes, like, yeah, you know, this sounds like it could be, it's, a, we were, we we're going on a cardiac arrest. We knew that. Um, but, you know, we were, they weren't giving us any obvious COVID, uh, signs. And so, regardless, any cardiac arrest right now, we have all the stuff on, right? Um, right. So we hop out, get our gear. We've got everything, all the PPE on. We go into this house and the, the lady is just screaming at us, like, you know, he had COVID, he had COVID. And then she's like, I have COVID. 
and um, you know the gentleman was in his 80s and had some underlying conditions um, and the you know the the detail that just gets me every single time think about that call is he was when we found him he was reaching for his inhaler like, oh. and just you know gone and uh, you know he had a history of uh, COPD and so we're 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 talking we're trying to get the story from the wife and she's telling us you know basically the last time he was seen alive was before they went to bed and so here we are a few hours later it's like all right well we're not going to work this one and uh, find him an asystole and you know we're we're done but mm-hmm. one of the things that I take pride in and I think I've, I've kind of moved towards this in the last couple of years, um, especially with going through the PTSD stuff and, you know, really starting to change my focus on just being a good clinician to like really doing all the extras really, really well, um, mm-hmm. or trying to and be cognizant of them is I, I, I wanted to focus on her and make her the patient, right. And, and make mm-hmm. sure that she was doing okay and, and check on her and uh, take good care of her and do all these things. But like, we've got these protocols, you know, and, and you got to, you know, get in, get out. And um, mm-hmm. my ability to just hang out with her on scene wasn't an option. And so instead, we're opening up doors and windows, ventilating the space, right? And, you know, trying to like, you know, because we're, we're basically helping, uh, you know, Deputy ME has to come in, right, and do their investigation. Right. But they've got their own protocols. And so... Did a couple things to help them out before they started, but then we took off. Um, and that extra level, that extra, you know, extra yard that we want to go for family and ultimately our patients can't really do it. Um, and so. No, and that's hard on both sides too. Yeah. And all these people are dying on FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Families can't be with them. They're isolated at the end of their life. Just- yep. Healthcare providers don't want to see that, and family members don't want to see that, and patients probably certainly don't want to be <laughs> if they're awake in that scary position, and it's just awful all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that my one of my um, close friends, his uh, his wife is a, a nurse in the ICU up here, and she there's times where she comes home and she can't really talk. Um, she's just so distraught and so um, beat up by what she's seen. And she's basically on a fairly regular basis, having to hold a family FaceTime phone call in her hand while her, you know, the loved one expires. And she's listening to these family members saying prayers or, you know, saying what they loved about the person or telling them that they loved them and why. And, um, just these gut wrenching end of life uh, interactions, and um, then you know the loved one expires, right? And then she stays on the phone, you know, while they all lose it, and then share with each other how much you know, you know, they're grateful for the nurse, and you know, which is nice, but like they don't, <laughs> they don't want to have to do that. I mean. No, that's just. Day, yeah. We do have day, certain day. things that we, yeah, there are certain boundaries that we approach as healthcare providers, which is 
be very caring and loving and compassionate, but you have to keep that distance in the moment in order to continue your day. And that makes it very difficult. Yeah. Uh, I just totally feel for all you guys. Oh, Holly. Yeah. I, I feel pretty good at my ability to tell someone their loved one has died and then do the steps and then I'm out of there. But sitting in that grief yeah. is not something that mm-hmm. I do. And that's what nurses no. do every damn day. And no. and then being with that patient day after day. Right. And with their family that day relationship. Day, you, do. Mm-hmm. you do. You get attached. Really hard. Yikes. Not imagine. Um, Holly, I don't know if we talked to you about, do they have plans for rolling out vaccines where you're working? Um, I don't know yet. Don't know. Yeah. We'll see. So I think yeah. information is kind of still forthcoming, but yep. I know my sister works up in Washington and they're getting theirs by the end of December. Nice. Um, and I know some of the bigger hospitals around here have started vaccinating last week. So mm-hmm. yeah. Good. We'll see. See how it goes. You know what I want to see as, you know, we've been looking at freaking graphs all year long, right? And it's this steep up and to the right kind of swings on these things and these steep climbs with these numbers. I want to see vaccine numbers on the same scale. Like I want to chart every to single see who day. Gets it? Yeah. I want to see what the numbers yeah. are. How many people have been given a vaccine? Like let's, let's start charting that because right. we give need us to be, hope. yeah, give us a little bit of hope and let's talk about something good that's coming with the bad kind of a thing too. So right. yeah. Ugh. What is one thing you're grateful for during this pandemic? Dan, you're going to get that one first because I got to think about my answer. I think Dan already kind of said his, but oh, go ahead. What was what was mine? Oh, yeah, what was his? <laughs> well, you were saying some good things that happened, so tell. Oh, what you're grateful for. Are you talking to me again? Yeah, this is for you, Daniel. I wish I could see you looking right Daniel, at me. Daniel, you go first. Okay. Well, I, I, I talked about the, the time I've been able to spend my family, some of the alone trips to uh, a place we have in the mountains. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm real grateful to work for a fire department that has really gone above and beyond on, on, uh, making sure this does not hit our department. Knock on wood, we've only had seven people out of 600. And that's pretty good. There's many wow, that's really good. Yeah. So we've been real fortunate. And, uh, yeah, I'm just grateful to still have a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Steve, I'm, now's your turn, buddy. Yeah, kind of the same same lines. Grateful to have a job. I you know, have friends and family who've lost theirs or been significantly impacted. And mm-hmm. I'm not going through this and, and and worrying about whether or not we can buy groceries this week. Um, right. And so very, very grateful for that. I also feel like it's COVID has caused a forced slowdown. And so early on, I feel like I kind of resisted it. Um, because I'm literally locked in a house with my family and we're Mm -hmm. not going to all the things we would usually be doing that would take us away from one another throughout the day. And which is great, right? Especially right. with young kids. Yeah. And, and so now it's like, man, I've got my son home all the time. I've got my daughter home all the time. And we're really focused on just being really, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
deliberate in the time that we spend together throughout the day. So, you know, they've got online school. They'll go do their online school thing. Um, but we check in. Then we do lunch together, which is fun. I mean, you never got to do that when they were in school. And then, yeah. um, you know, we're we're usually crushing some show or a movie at night as a family. And um, that's been really, really cool. So the Mandalorian is a big hit right now in our family. Oh, yeah. With, uh, it's on tonight. Yes. Yes. With the child and uh, yeah. all the, all the, I feel like I get to geek out on all the Star Wars stuff with uh, my son, especially. <laughs> and then my daughter loves it because of the, um, you know, baby Yoda child thing. Baby Yoda. And, right. um, and then my wife, who was never into Star Wars at all, is into this show because it's a really interesting storyline. So, um, yeah, I mean that having that time has really made me something I'm grateful for as well. Your turn, Holly. Yeah. That is one thing I will miss. Yeah. The only thing I'll miss. Or not. Don't change it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we always slip back into our old habits, unfortunately. How long does it take to make a new habit? Like three weeks or something like that? (laughs) We're there. Good point. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. Um, one thing I have a teenager, so of course she doesn't like to come and hang out with me all day long. But, um, one thing I'm great. One day we were driving around and, uh, my daughter goes, mom, you know what everybody says 2020 sucks. And she goes, I've actually had a pretty good summer. And nice. it, I was like, wow. That, I mean, I was really grateful for that conversation with her. Cause it really reminded me to find some sort of joy in the chaos. Mm-hmm. And her joy was, slowing down and not doing three dance classes and horseback riding and after school sports and all of these things. Um, she got to have a, a, a summer where she rode horses all summer and sat in a room and did what hung she out with a friend. Yep. Yeah. We had one friend that she gets to hang out with and it really did make me um, mindful that even though things do suck, don't get wrapped up in everybody else's interpretation of what sucks. And if you can right. find some joy, it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty about that. Right. And actually, it's really good for our well-being. So oh, I was really grateful for that um, sweet perception of That's my awful. almost teenager back then. Yeah. So. <laughs> you have to take what you can get. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know when, when Dr. Offit was asked um, in one of the interviews I watched, when are you going to feel like we're – we're in the clear or we're, we're, we're doing well, um, as a, as a world, as a, as a country. And he said, uh, he's a season ticket holder for Eagles games. And he said, when I can go to an Eagles game and not wear a mask, that's when I will, uh, feel like we're in the clear. He said, cause it's really hard to boo through a mask. <laughs> so, um, I was like, yeah, that, that will be, I'm looking forward to going to <laughs> concerts again. Holy cow. Oh my gosh. I miss live uh, so much. Yeah. Oh man. But that's my big thing. It's what about coming. you, Dan? What are you going to look forward to the most when restrictions are eased? Going back to the gym. Mm-hmm. Going out to eat with my family, you know, without that mask on. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm just so tired of thinking about it. Just constantly, mm-hmm. you know, every call, this is the one. This is where I touch my face the wrong way or something. That's what I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inner peace. <laughs> yep. yep. 
Oh. I'm looking forward to seeing my sister again. Mm. She works on a strict COVID unit and she will not allow herself to see us because she doesn't want to expose us unnecessarily, mm-hmm. especially my parents. Yeah. And I have not seen her for months and I won't see her oh. for Christmas. So I'm excited yes. to see my sister again. That will be good. Crazy. And that, you know, those are the, the sacrifices that the media just doesn't really talk about. Um, that no. people don't really share, you know, you're willing to say this is all just a joke, but there's people that haven't seen their loved ones in nine months. Um, yeah. Cause they're doing that job. So tell your sister, thank you. It's appreciated. We I will. Very much. Yeah. I'll make her listen to the podcast. She yeah. likes our podcast. Good. <laughs> good. 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 Well guys, let's close it there and, um, all right. we'll, uh, sign off and,